the book of Proverbs chapter 3. Sunday morning we're in a series entitled Timeless Wisdom, study of uh, topical issues in the book of Proverbs. If you're with us this morning without a Bible, flag one of these guys coming up the aisles and they'll have a Bible in your hand and mark to the passage that we're studying today. And if you don't own a Bible, please make that uh, a gift from the Lord to you today. Just a reminder, Sunday nights we do go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And currently in the book of Acts chapter 5, if you want to read ahead, and we'll be doing that tonight at 6 o'clock. Each of you are invited as well. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power, in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. Do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Do not strive with a man without cause, if he has done you no harm. Do not envy the oppressor, and choose none of his ways, for the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but he gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love for us that we've sung about. Jesus, thank you for yours as well and the sacrifice for us to know you to be able to worship you as we have in spirit and in truth, in spirit and in reality. We are a grateful people, and we're grateful for all of your blessings, including the incredible blessing of your word. And we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, cause it to do its work of edification and its work of exhortation and comfort in each of our lives today. Give us the ability to hear your voice through your word how it applies to our lives this morning, we ask. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I have repeatedly mentioned in the course of this series, and we're just really getting started in it, um, that the book of Proverbs, of course, the theme of it is wisdom. And it provides us with the wisdom for how to live a life that blesses God, a life that is a blessing to our neighbor, and a life that also uh, blesses us. And the ability to live that life in the nitty-gritty of this fallen world. And Solomon, by the Holy Spirit, in terms of giving us wisdom and instruction in the nitty-gritty of life, he's going to leave almost no stone unturned in this regard. And this morning we get a glimpse of this wisdom reaching, I think, into uh, the nittiest and grittiest of our life as Solomon addresses our relationships with our neighbors. And the instruction that he gives us uh, related to our relationship and the health of that relationship with our neighbors is not insignificant it's, and not as unnecessary as we might sometimes think. And... Uh, Probably, I think, next to the quality of our relationships with our family, with our friend, uh, with our co-workers, uh, the quality of our relationships with our neighbors is next in importance in terms of the quality of our lives, in terms of it affecting our peace, affecting our joy, 
affecting our sense of well-being, allowing our home to be the uh, sanctuary in this uh, world and the refuge that God intends it to be uh, for us as his children in the middle of all of the chaos of, of the world. And the reason for that is that, like it or not, we are, every one of us, in a relationship with our neighbors uh, simply by virtue of the fact that they live near us, by virtue of uh, their proximity, whether that's an apartment complex or whether it's a condominium or whether it is in a neighborhood or whether it is in a, uh, on a ranch uh, or whether it is in a prison. And uh, even if our neighbor is a complete stranger to us, we're still in a relationship with them and a communication between us and them and them and us is always uh, going on. They notice whether we leave our garbage cans out on the street all week long, uh, whether we park in front of their house instead of our own, uh, whether we store that uh, broken down uh, Chevy Malibu that we intend to get to in some lifetime and restore, but in the meantime, for decades, we keep it stored right on the property line, within an inch of the property line uh, of their, uh, their property, or the, the uh, loudness with which we play our music or allowing our kids to play in their front yard without permission and so forth. They also notice when we're polite and when we're courteous, uh, when we do what we can to make sure that their home and their life is a blessing uh, to them, not only by not doing the things that I've just talked about here, but by living a life that is sensitive to the quality of life that they want to have and uh, related to their own home and uh, their own lives as well. Everything that we do as a neighbor is a communication to our neighbors, and they readily understand the language. And uh, as a result, uh, what uh, they think of us. Not all communication in life is verbal. Probably most communication is not. Being in a good relationship with our neighbors is a great blessing in life. Uh, you can live in a uh, multi-million dollar home, but if you're at odds with your neighbors, uh, the, the value of that home is greatly uh, diminished. And so it's important for us to prioritize uh, healthy relationships with our uh, neighbors. A healthy relationship with our neighbors is a great blessing and examples of uh, the blessing that neighbors can be abound. Uh, for instance, during uh, Hurricane Harvey, uh, when that hit Houston, neighbors saved a woman in labor by making a, a human chain to get her to safety. She was caught uh, in her home. A neighbor checked in on her uh, and her husband, saw that they were going to get caught in the rising uh, waters. He went to the rest of the neighbors. Within 30 minutes, they brought a crew of neighbors and to help. The water was so high by that time that uh, the neighbors and the firefighters formed a human chain uh, to get her to a nearby truck and then on to Texas Children's Hospital to deliver uh, the baby. And it doesn't have to be uh, that dramatic of an event in life. 
uh, for it to be noticed. Uh, just picking up uh, the mail or the newspapers when asked and uh, while a neighbor is on vacation, keeping an eye on things, uh, lending a tool to them when they're in a pinch, uh, helping them move something heavy that they can't quite um, move themselves, uh, holding a flashlight when they're trying to, for a few minutes, finish off some kind of a plumbing project that is going on, providing a ride in a pinch, or just kind of being pleasant and kind. In a strained relationship with our neighbors, is emotionally and mentally very, very taxing. And it has, it can almost single-handedly make life miserable. Uh, Recently in San Antonio, there was kind of bad blood between two uh, neighbors, and they often got into heated uh, arguments. And then at 1.30 in the afternoon, Uh, Police say that the one man left his apartment and he encountered the other man. Uh, The confrontation ensued with the one man striking the other on the head and then proceeding to strangle him to death with an electrical cord. So uh, TMI on that one, or a little too graphic for church. But these kind of things are going on all the time in terms of strain between between neighbors. Uh, There's an account of a couple whose next-door neighbor's uh, puppy wandered into their yard and they proceeded to sell it on Craigslist for $50. Now, the sad thing is that for some of you, um, that's more troubling to you than the first illustration. uh, But uh, we see what neighbors can be. I think on a lighter note, neighbor jokes abound, nothing like lawyer jokes. Uh, in, in terms of just sheer amount of them. And, uh, and I ask myself, why are there so many neighbor jokes? Well, you have to laugh, really. I mean, you have to keep your sense of humor in all of this. Here's a couple. Um, my, neighbor, uh, my neighbors love my taste in music. They even call the police to come and listen to it. Uh, my house is protected 24-7 by a nosy neighbor. And if you've ever had a nosy neighbor, you understand that how that goes. In the, in the same vein of a no, no, uh, nosy neighbor, uh, uh, someone says, uh, sometimes late at night I dig a hole in the backyard just to keep the nosy neighbors guessing. So it's a little perverse um, I'm annoyed with my loud, obnoxious neighbor. Uh, now I know how Canada feels. <laughs> Somebody wrote, once I was taking a shower singing Believe by Cher, and at the chorus part, I heard my neighbor sing it with me. So, we'll leave the last word in this regard to G.K. Uh, uh, Chesterton. He'll sanctify it. He said, the Bible says, uh, tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they're generally the same people. So. Now, I must mention that there are some who look at this passage of Scripture here, and, uh, and they narrow the definition of uh, neighbor down to speaking solely of a Jew toward another Jew. They look at it and say the context is the law of Moses. The law of Moses stated that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
and, uh, and so the context of the Old Testament is Jewish as well. And so many Jewish rabbis taught, and many as a result of that, believed that this command to love our neighbor uh, and any uh, mention of neighbor in the Old Testament was speaking uh, strictly and specifically in that, uh, that vein. Uh, they weren't that uh, quite uh, so confident in their view related to that because it remained a, an issue, the definition of neighbor, an issue all the way through the ages, even the time, to the time of Jesus, uh, in which you might remember that as they were debating whether these passages referred to only Jewish neighbors or Gentile neighbors as well or, you know, anybody. And so uh, that Jewish lawyer, you might remember, asked of Jesus. He was wanting to protect um, himself from a broad definition of neighbor as a Jew, uh, a definition of neighbor that involved both Jew and Gentile. And so he asked Jesus, uh, the, what, what is the definition of a neighbor? And Jesus, uh, who is my neighbor, he said. And it prompted Jesus' answer to him in the teaching of the Good Samaritan, in which he not only confirmed the Old Testament was teaching that it was referring to both Jew and Gentile uh, neighbors, but for us as Christians, a neighbor uh, isn't even, he broadens it that it's not even a location, but anyone that is near us in need, wherever we are in life, we're to view them as uh, a neighbor. The fact that this proverb refers to our immediate neighbors as we understand neighbors today in the United States of America and as neighbors are understood in the rest of the world uh, as someone who lives next to us or near us is made clear a little bit later in the book of Proverbs where we have neighbors being described in exactly that way. For instance, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 10. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, uh, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother uh, far away. So here Solomon gives us four very, very practical pieces of advice or, or counsel, wisdom about how we can best develop and nurture a healthy relationship uh, with our neighbors. And the focus is not on what they should be, but the focus is on what we should be. And because if we want to have good neighbors, uh, we uh, have to start by being a good neighbor. And that rarely works in the opposite direction. And the only person we have control over is our own life. And so he uh, focuses there. First of all, he tells us in verses 27 and 28, do not withhold good from your neighbor. Do not withhold good. In other words, we are to only do good to our neighbors uh, that's what uh, should be forthcoming from our lives, what is helpful to them, verse 27. And then at verse 28, we're not to fail to uh, do them good uh, or to delay doing good to them uh, when we can. Uh, even when uh, they are in need of us doing good to them at a moment that we don't want to bother with it at the moment, it's not... Uh, convenient to us, but it is doable for us, and, uh, and then certainly not 
uh, when they ask for some favor or some good that is clearly uh, their due, as the passage indicates. As a Christian, in this, we are to represent the attitude of Jesus toward them. And uh, we are very hopeful concerning our neighbors that they will become a Christian as a result of our doing and our being uh, good to them. And it's moments like this uh, where they need something from us, a good from us. They come to us for that good. It's moments like that where they are expressing a great vulnerability to us, certainly in our culture, and asking uh, for something and their need. And so they come to us for their assistance, and to assist them at that time is invaluable in the hands of the Holy Spirit and in getting their attention related to the Lord. And so it's rare, a good deed that is done to us by anyone, and certainly by a neighbor, is uh, usually not forgotten. And so they, these represent strategic moments. Uh, it is not very often when a neighbor needs something from us, asks something from us, and they're a strategic moment that when it even happens and is inconvenient for us, where it can be impactful and even spiritually impactful uh, in their uh, lives. And so when somebody's in a pinch and they need help and they ask us as a neighbor um, and they realize they have even inconvenienced us in what they have asked for and then we come through for them, they are uh, doubly grateful for the sacrifice. And uh, so to take advantage and be aware of those opportunities. Needless delay or reluctance in uh, helping our neighbor or doing good to them when we have the opportunity, uh, and much less having a cold attitude toward our neighbors that we let them uh, understand that's our attitude toward them, uh, it will usually result in our neighbor uh, uh, determining never to ask for our help again. And uh, when a person has needed help, they need good from us in some way, and then uh, because it's inconvenient to us, we say no to them. They walk away and determine to never put themselves in that position of vulnerability related to us the rest of their lives. They would rather die than come back and ask anything uh, of us uh, uh, again and be treated in that way. And so right or wrong, uh, they will have sized us up as a neighbor as a result, and uh, that will be their attitude about us going forward. So this needless denial of a request for good, uh, a need in our, uh, our neighbor's uh, life, Solomon doesn't even put <clears throat> on the table here uh, denying uh, assisting <coughs> that neighbor, excuse me, but he uh, even warns against a needless delay. Because when we do that and somebody comes to us with a legitimate need <coughs> and, and talking about a need, then they leave with that need unmet and all of the worry related to that need continues to be upon their life because it's unresolved for them or uh, it demeans them. 
uh, a, a, a unnecessary delay. It demeans them by forcing them to come a second time and asking for help. And it communicates that we consider them to be relatively unimportant in our lives. And all of which are marks of the fact that we are uh, dealing with our neighbor in a way uh, that we are failing to put ourselves in, in their shoes. We are failing to ask ourselves, what would we want this person to do for us if we were in their shoes? As Jesus declared uh, in what is referred to as the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do uh, unto you. And that's to be our attitude toward our neighbors. He does qualify this. And the qualifications are important in verse 27. He uh, qualifies it as to those to whom it is due. And so uh, that certainly means that we are to be prompt in returning something that we have borrowed from them uh, and certainly return it if we've forced them into a place of coming and asking for it, whether it is... uh, a saw or a drill bit or whether it is a wheelbarrow or a, 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 a pie tin or whatever it might, uh, it might be. Additionally, if they have borrowed a tool from us and they've ruined it without offering to replace it, that person then forfeits the right to expect someone to come through for them in the same way um, in, uh, the next time. Additionally, while we're to be good and helpful to our neighbors, we recognize that neighbor is a qualifying term. In other words, as important as neighbors are to us and and as important as they are to be to us, our neighbors are not family. And so we don't have to take uh, the, we don't have the same responsibilities toward them that we do toward family in terms of lending money or the extent to which we can give of our time or the extent to which we can take their responsibilities uh, upon ourselves, uh, the responsibilities of life. The second qualification is when it is in uh, the power of your hand to do so. That is, if we're in a position to do them good, and uh, we have the time to do it, um, and we have um, the strong back to do, uh, move that piece of furniture with them or whatever it might be. And of course, the Holy Spirit has to define the boundaries that we have with all of our neighbors. And each of our neighbors are a different set of people, and he can establish Uh, different boundaries related to each one of those uh, sets of neighbors, and it may be uh, differ very much from uh, house to house. And certainly in our, uh, uh, what we do in terms of uh, doing good and being helpful and uh, and what we can do for them uh, when uh, the neighbors are of the opposite sex or the neighbors really do represent uh, something of a danger to us, or we just have this um, inward uh, discomfort by the Holy Spirit related to them. They're creepy in a way that makes us realize this isn't uh, a healthy situation for me to be involved in. There's nothing wrong 
uh, with being cautious in that regard. But it is good for us to stop this morning and just to stop and think about what is our attitude as Christians toward our neighbors? Um, Do we view them on the level of just any other stranger that we might uh, pass in the aisles of a grocery store uh, as we're doing grocery shopping? Or uh, do we realize that the relationship and our responsibility in the relationship is more significant than that in, in God's eyes? And so is this my attitude toward my neighbor, that this represents a relationship that God wants me to use to glorify himself in the lives of these other people, and then to ask myself, am I presently, am I being that kind of neighbor to my uh, neighbors? Not talking about what they are to us, but am I being that kind of a neighbor toward uh, my, uh, my neighbors. And to just look at this passage this morning, say, Lord, I, if, it, if it fits, Lord, I don't make my neighbors even remotely uh, the priority that you lay out here. I ignore them entirely. Uh, if they say hi, I don't say back, anything back. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, they are just context. They are just stage decoration for the great drama that is my life. And if if I look at them in that that kind of a way, to just look and say, Lord, I don't give my neighbors anywhere near the priority that you do. Would you help me to change that? And thank you for enlarging my perspective on this, uh, this issue. I think that it's important to realize that in the Old Testament, Immediately after the children of Israel, uh, immediately before, rather, the children of Israel uh, and the children of Judah went into their uh, uh, respective captivities, uh, that, and God brought that judgment upon them in the form of those captivities, the moral decline within Judah and in Israel, uh, it, it, uh, the and the made healthy relationships between uh, neighbors more and more difficult and more and more uh, dangerous. Jeremiah brings it out in chapter 9. And so wisdom and discernment needs to be exercised in, in our relationship with our neighbors as our, our nation is on a similar moral decline. So there needs to be discernment related to all of this. But we recognize that uh, for the most part, our our neighbors are um, not a danger to us. And that as Christians, all of this is a part of being salt and light in the world. And and that to to be uh, the best neighbor that I can be is a witness to God's heart and his character to them. Second, in verse 29, the Lord, uh, Solomon tells us, do not devise evil against your neighbor. And so we're never to um, uh, do any unprovoked harm toward them in, in any way. We're never even to think about uh, harming them, uh, much less doing uh, whatever we might uh, conjure up in our mind. And so this speaks of our attitude toward our uh, neighbors. Our attitude needs to be one that is gracious 
uh, toward them, where we desire their best in, in uh, life. Uh, nobody is going to do everything the way that we would want them to do. We have our own life to live. They will live their life. And so every relationship requires give and take. Every relationship requires grace and, uh, on, on our part, and our relationships with our neighbors require that as well, and a gracious attitude. We're not to slander our neighbors, uh, and, uh, and we're certainly not to slander them among ourselves or to then slander them uh, bef- uh, before all of the other neighbors in the neighborhood. And then to be the source of this division now within the neighborhood or the street that we uh, live on and bringing that kind of conflict into the neighborhood as a result. He tells us additionally in verse 29, Solomon does, for he that is our neighbor dwells by you for safety's sake. He dwells by us uh, for uh, the sake of our safety but he dwells by us for the sake of his own safety as well. In the ancient world, a neighbor represented the closest thing that you could have to an alarm system uh, in your home, a security system. If you were away, people would be far less likely to break into your house or to steal your livestock if you had a, uh, a neighbor that was in close proximity to you. And so the idea is don't make an enemy of someone you might uh, very well need to be in a good relationship with uh, presently and in, in the future. Additionally, because being a neighbor is a relationship, we should never use their vulnerability uh, toward us that, that uh, becomes a, a, a vulnerability on their part and it, because of their proximity to us. In other words, in that relationship, we come to know them to some degree. Uh, we know their schedule. We know when they come and go. We know about their families. We know about the cars that they drive. We can sometimes know a little bit about their wealth or the job that they hold or the kind of wealth that is in the home in terms of appliances and and, uh, electronics and uh, other things that uh, might be valuable to be stolen. And so we know their quirks. And to take those things, we're to never use those things against our uh, neighbor. Certainly, and not stealing uh, from them ourselves, but then letting other uh, uh, undesirables know uh, about them and what they have. Because as vulnerable as they are to us, by virtue of our knowledge of them, we are as vulnerable to them by virtue of their knowledge of us. And trust me, they know you and me as well as we know them uh, in in this uh, regard. And so to violate a neighbor's trust of us and plot against them is a terrible, terrible treachery. It goes on all of the time. And uh, it shouldn't be uh, anything that we have any interest in or, or to do. So we're never to take advantage of this relationship or 
uh, and a neighbor, a relationship with a neighbor is a relationship of trust, and we are to never take advantage of that trust that they put in us. You see, I don't know that my neighbors trust me. Um, do you have a five-foot wooden fence between uh, your backyard and their backyard? Well, that represents a level of trust. If one day you wake up and they're putting a 20-foot high base light block wall between you and them, then that's a communication of how much they trust you. And, and so there is this, uh, there is this uh, recognition that uh, the, the way that they live their life openly before us and not setting up any kind of defense against us, recognizing us to be a danger in some way, that is never to be taken advantage of on our part. 30 tells us in verse 30, do not strive with your neighbor. And that is we aren't to argue with them or contend uh, with them. In other words, we're to have a friendly attitude uh, toward them to um, and Jesus makes, uh, affirms this command. It's both in the Old Testament and New Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're to have compassion upon, uh, upon our neighbors, uh, just as he instructed. I think that this would certainly include in terms of not striving or fighting with, uh, with our uh, contending with our neighbors. I think it would certainly include being wise about entering into conversations with them about uh, any kind of subject that would threaten the uh, peace of my relationship with my uh, neighbors. And so uh, fighting with them or burning the relationship to the ground uh, over heated discussions on subjects that uh, are of no real import or subjects with which uh, people can hold more than one view, but we happen to be very passionate related to, to uh, one view over which political party they belong to or political issues that have no moral implications or uh, any of the many other needless causes of conflict and division that are in circulation uh, today. It's one thing to watch it on the news. It's one thing to deal with it in other areas of life. It's another thing to introduce it into our relationship with our uh, neighbors, creating a division and a, a contention uh, with our neighbors uh, over their view of climate change uh, or uh, uh, the environment of uh, the United States uh, military spending on the war in the Ukraine, uh, old music versus new music, or what we think of uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, or whether uh, they think that the worst pop song ever written was Paul Anka's Having My Baby or Muskrat Love by Captain and Tennille. I'm still working on that in my own mind. And you can have your own opinion related uh, to that. And so now if you and your neighbors have, of course, the emotional uh, maturity to talk about controversial subjects and maintain a good relationship uh, as neighbors, then that's great. And to go for it. Uh, but not everybody possesses that maturity, and maybe even we don't possess that uh, maturity. 
Our ultimate focus as Christians in maintaining a healthy relationship with our neighbors and making everything else subservient to to, uh, uh, that, being a good neighbor to them, is the hope that the Holy Spirit will somehow use the relationship that we have with them to share the gospel with them and for it not to be cluttered by uh, all of the other things that we can clutter that relationship uh, with. And so to have a relationship with them where they respect us, they hold us in high enough esteem that when we share the gospel with them, uh, that they will uh, take seriously, uh, take it seriously when we do, or after we share the gospel with them, that when they see us, they see a life that is attractive in terms of righteousness, peace, and uh, joy in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit uses that to work uh, in their lives. Everything is to be subservient to uh, our mission and our place as Christians. That's the supreme hat that we wear anywhere we wear are in life, the supreme concern in our life, and it's to carry over in our relationship with our neighbors as well. There are two qualifications um, uh, concerning not striving with our neighbors. He said, do not strive with them without cause. And so we're not to do so when there's no cause for that. In other words, they've done nothing to provoke uh, a confrontation on our, our part. We initiate uh, the, the provocation and, and, uh, and the contention. It also means that there can be a cause for problems or conflicts that will occur between us and our neighbors uh, despite our best effort to be uh, the best neighbor we can to them. And that's just real life. I've always appreciated the Apostle Paul's instruction to the church in Rome concerning this. He said, uh, if, it is, if it is possible, that's one qualifier, as much as depends on you, that's a second qualifier, <laughs> live peaceably with all men. And certainly uh, the Apostle Paul is a poster child for having endeavored to live at peace with all men and then finding it impossible uh, on, on their end toward him. And so that is a reality in our lives. The second qualification for not striving with our neighbors is if he has done you uh, no harm. So this striving and this contention should, again, never have its origin uh, in us. We should do our best to avoid unnecessary conflict or disagreements. And then fourth and finally in verses 31 to 35 here, uh, Solomon gives us counsel. You notice he talks about home a little bit further down in the passage. So we're still in the context of talking about neighbors here. Here he's talking about what do you do when you have a neighbor that is just plain bad? Uh, uh, The nightmare the worst-case scenario. Uh, The neighbor is even uh, wicked. And all of that is real, too, and it's very, very miserable. Not every neighborhood is like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. They don't go around in sweaters and sing songs when they walk in the door and uh, uh, talk that way. 
And so Solomon addresses this issue of uh, difficult neighbors, even uh, bad neighbors, even wicked neighbors, and he addresses the scenario from two different perspectives. First, for the Christian for whom their wickedness of a neighbor might represent a temptation uh, to them. In other words, the house is a nonstop party house. There are people coming and going uh, all of the time. And here you are uh, as a Christian living alone in your home. You would prefer that you weren't alone, that you had more friends that you do. And they keep inviting you to come over and join them. And it can represent a temptation on a lot of different levels. That's just an example of it. And then also from the perspective of the Christian for whom this kind of a neighbor produces tremendous frustration in us and, uh, and anger. First, he tells us in verse 31, don't envy them. There's nothing enviable about their life. And here he's talking about the person who's tempted in some way uh, by the lifestyle, something attractive uh, by, uh, 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 about it is, 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 is something appeals to them. If the truth were made known, for all of the freedom that's exhibited in that kind of, of an environment, God says their existence is very, very dark and it's very hard. And, and so that's what we need to understand. Second in verse 31, he tells us, do not choose his ways. Third in verse 32, know that they're an abomination to the Lord. So how, no matter how much uh, you, if you have a neighbor like this, no matter how much uh, you might dislike uh, who and what they uh, are. Uh, who and what they are, Solomon reminds us, is loathsome to God. So there's no need for us to get worked up about it when God already is, but he is in a righteous way and in a holy way. Fourth in verse 32, remember God's secret counsel is with the upright. And so secret counsels, it refers to uh, those that God reveals his secrets to, those who enjoy fellowship with him. And here Solomon is letting us know that if we have a neighbor like this, that God will bless our relationship with him, with the Lord with an a, a, a extra or an extraordinary special depth of intimacy with him when we're in these circumstances to counterbalance the difficulty of the relationship and, and even to overwhelm uh, the negatives associated with these kind of neighbors. And so oftentimes this kind of, of a neighbor, the, it is a time for spiritual growth. It's a time in which these things force us uh, into a deeper relationship with the Lord, a deeper Christ-likeness in our lives. And the Lord will be faithful to take us into that depth of relationship with him. And so you, we might look at that neighbor, if you have that kind of a neighbor. Uh, most of us have all had, if not presently, one of those neighbors at some time in our life. And... Um, and to stop and look and say, yeah, this is entirely miserable. But no, the Lord has uh, poured a special grace out on me uh, in, in the middle of this. And so often the bad neighbor is using up all of the oxygen in the room and we don't even notice 
uh, what God is doing and bringing into our lives in order to uh, uh, this, give us a work of His grace and what He knows is a difficult circumstance. Fifth in verse 33, remember the curse of the Lord is on the house uh, of the wicked. So we're to pray with them, uh, pray for them. We are to um, uh, talk to God about the situation, pray for their salvation, but we're never to repay evil for evil. And that's a great temptation. Uh, they did this, now I'm going to do that. And, uh, uh, but uh, vengeance belongs to the Lord alone, and, and it is never in our uh, toolkit or as an option as Christians, because we can't handle or do that safely the way that God, uh, that con- uh, God can. He knows how to repay, and so to trust Him to do what we cannot and what we uh, should not in a situation And uh, because no matter how bad the neighbor is, we don't want anything to uh, permanently mar our Christian witness in that neighborhood. And so the importance of that. Six, to remember that God blesses the house of the just, verse 33. That is, it's possible to have a godly home in the context of neighbors like this as a Christian. In fact, most Christians around the world live in a neighborhood like this. Not with just person on one side of them. They're the sole Christian influence and presence in the entire neighborhood. And so uh, he's writing to a lot of different cultures here, the whole world, as Solomon's giving us this kind of instruction. And so God will add a special blessing of his to your home in the light of, of the trial. But we have to be careful to, to notice that. Okay, this is miserable, but he has said that he is going to bless the house of the, uh, of the just. Lord, would you help me see those blessings that you're giving me in the light of this trial in my life? And then seventh, verse 34, to remember that God scorns the scornful and he gives grace to the humble. And so very often this kind of a bad neighbor or certainly a wicked neighbor, uh, they uh, focus in a special scorn upon Christians and and in all of the arrogance and pride that's associated with wickedness. Of course, Christianity stands in opposition to that, and so they, they will view us as an enemy in that regard, and so they can taunt, and uh, they know that their lives trouble us. But again, vengeance has to be left with the Lord with the confidence that He will scorn uh, the scornful. Um, he will shut people's uh, mouths, and so... Uh, the uh, confidence that he is going to take care of it. Eighth in verse 35, remember that the wise will inherit uh, glory, uh, the reminder that there is a heaven on the other side of this life. Uh, There will be no such uh, neighbors uh, in heaven. If there are, you can report them, I think, effectively. And, uh, And so one day our faithfulness to God to live for Christ and and to endure in these uh, places that he places us in life, that God notices these things, what's required of us, that we view this as a ministry where we live in the neighborhood that we live in, and one day he will richly uh, reward that. And then ninth in verse 35, uh, realize that shame will be the legacy 
of fools. And so to be patient in this kind of a situation, to just hold on, and, uh, and God's promise to humble them and to shame them isn't a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And to look in faith at that situation uh, with that uh, promise here that God uh, uh, speaks through uh, Solomon. And so thank God here. I mean, you, again, nitty-gritty of life and how needed instruction is in all of these different areas of our life for our lives to be as spiritually influential, not just a blessing to us, but as spiritually influential as, as they can be. And so uh, wisdom, invaluable wisdom related to uh, the role of a neighbor and being reminded of the importance of, of nurturing um, uh, healthy relationships with our neighbors and then uh, instruction, very practical instructions concerning how uh, to do so. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer. Well, Father, we really feel that um, in all of this, Solomon is not leaving any stone unturned in terms of speaking your wisdom into our lives. And certainly you have a different view of neighbors than we're ever going to gain from anyone else uh, but you and what is to be our attitude. And we thank you for speaking to us about this today, about the importance of this role in our lives towards others, and then such practical instruction about how to operate in that role. You know that we love you. We know, you know that we love the life that we get to live. And you know that we want everyone to partake of it, to be saved and to come into this life and Lord, we know that the harvest field isn't always easy. And so use this to reorient us, to infuse hope, to infuse encouragement into our lives, whatever our relationship is in the places that we live. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.